Welcome to the Progress Your Health podcast with your hosts, Dr. Robert Mackey and Dr. Valerie Davidson, a husband and wife team who specialize in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and functional medicine. They're here to help you lose weight, balance hormones, and age gracefully. It's their mission to motivate, educate, and empower you to take your health to the next level. And now your hosts, hormone experts, Dr. Mackey and Dr. Davidson. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Progress Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Uh, so uh, how, was, uh, how was the hike this morning? Oh, it was hiking is always amazing. So it's always beautiful. And there's salmon berries that are ready to eat, um, the thimble berries. So the blackberries won't be ready probably till September because we're here in Western Washington and the blackberries are like everywhere. But usually that's like August, early September when those are ready. But it was, yeah, it was a fun hike. I want to say more of it was more of a walk. Yeah, it's, it was definitely it, a walk. Yeah, because it's pretty, it's pretty slow. Uh, we're, baby, we're baby babysitting your sister's dog. She's like, we're debating like how old she is, like, you know, not really exactly sure because when your parents were uh, stationed over, your dad was uh, contracting over in Okinawa for a little while. I think they got her at like some kind of hardware store or something over there. Micmac. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and so we don't really know how old she was even when they got her, but uh, I think your sister says she's 17. I think she's 16, but she's, you know, she is older. She's a little multi-poo, only like five, five pounds. So I know the younger ones, you know, have a longer lifespan, but she got out there and did a little walking with us. So oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. he comes back and goes right to the dog. She doesn't, she's a little finicky about the food, but she came right back oh. and started eating the other two dogs, you know, dog food, which is cute. You know, mm-hmm. she's, she's eating, doing her thing. Uh, so anyways, we got some exercise. Now we come in, we sit down and do a podcast. Uh, so we, uh, uh, this question we're going to do today is sort of at least kind of, uh, you know, uh, trails on the, uh, one we did a, a couple of, uh, episodes ago actually kind of alluded to this potential problem that can happen. Um, so this is, I think, from Melissa. So why don't we kind of dive in and uh, read the question and we'll, uh, we'll discuss. Okay, I'll read the question from Melissa. We change everybody's names just for privacy. So that's not really her name, but we're calling her Melissa. So, um, hi, I'm 52 years old. I have Sjogren's and Hashimoto's. I have atrophic vaginitis. A year ago, I started Vagifem for three weeks. Yeast infection after. Then I was put on Premarin cream, then yeast again, but I continued with the Premarin. I did this for six months and treated six yeast infections during this time. I finally stopped all medication and took a vaginal moisturizer. I did well with this for three months, then got another yeast infection, or so I thought. This has been a battle for another two months. The doctors did swabs and everything's negative for BV, yeast, and STI, but I feel swollen in the vagina, and when I urinate, I feel pain afterwards, and it in sitting, it feels like my vagina is hurting. No cystocele, no rectocele. I have also reacted to lubes with glycerin and um, glycol. Now the doctor wants me to start Interosa, and I'm paranoid to start in case I get yeast. Does anyone have any advice as I'm at my wit's end? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's, uh, I think there's a few things going on there. Uh, For one, kind of what she got started on, you know, there's some questions about some of those. Um, But when we've seen that kind of thing, you know, maybe not as dramatic as hers, you know, six yeast infections in a row. This happens all the time. But I think some people are just not 
you know, it's hard to talk about things that happen down south. You know, it's, um, yeah, it can be embarrassing. And then going to the doctor for that. And then well, it really shouldn't be. I know. Right? Why it it we, should not be. Yeah, mm-hmm. This should be, for a menopausal woman in 2023, um, this should not be a hard problem to solve. Right. I mean, women, uh, like maybe, you know, like say maybe when we were younger, okay. You know, maybe like in the seventies or the sixties or the fifties. Okay, fine. There wasn't a lot of options. Um, but the options they use there are not very good. Uh, you know, which then, uh, I'd be interested to see how, so she had one yeast infection that led to, uh, six more, it sounds like, or, you know, so she had seven total, uh, maybe even more than that. I'd be curious to know actually how they treated those yeast infections. What do you think they used? They probably used like flagell or diflucan or something? Diflucan, which is what's the, um, diflucan is a common name, fluconazole. So fluconazole, diflucan, which honestly it does work, but it's notorious for it coming back with a vengeance. So I, I do. So do you think her reoccurring infections was a result of the tr- uh, the yeast infection treatment or a result of what they use for the uh which he's calling atrophic vaginitis. It's both. It's both. So um, kind of to tease this apart, the the diflucan is a treatment for uh, for vaginal yeast infections. And it, you can usually take just one um, little tablet. You take one of them and then it's gone. Or sometimes people will take two. You don't usually take more than two in two consecutive days and then it's supposed to be gone. But that is one thing because it's so strong that it can come back. Now, like you had mentioned about the atrophic vaginitis, which is also vaginal atrophy, which happens post-menopause, is that when the vaginal tissues become, because um, when the estrogen drops, then the vaginal tissues don't have the estrogen to prime them to become, um, to mature them into mature vaginal cells. So then that ends up making the vaginal cells very dry. It can change that microbiome, the good bacteria versus the bad bacteria versus the yeast. So it changed the flora in the vaginal canal, make you more prone for urinary tract infections. But when that, when you have that vaginal atrophy, it makes you more prone to more infections like it would be if you didn't. Yeah, right. So is it just the cells or is it, uh, you said the flora, the, P, uh, the pH, or maybe mm-hmm. all of those things? The pH yeah. is changing, the flora is changing, everything's, everything is sort of disrupted because of a lack of hormone. It, yeah, exactly. It can be. So, you know, she's 52. Everybody goes through menopause differently. It doesn't look like she's on anything, you know, any bioidentical hormones, but menopause is 51 and a half of the average age. So as soon as that estrogen drops, those poor little vaginal cells don't have it anymore. So that's where that atrophy comes from. And they also call it um, GSM, um, general urinary uh, sim- syndrome of menopause. So that's kind of the new term, GSM for vaginal atrophy or atrophic vaginitis, because it's not just about the vaginal tissues are dry and intercourse can be painful. It's about the whole flora of that vaginal vault has been changed. Now, it now a lot of women don't have any problems, but it's it's kind of like this sort of symbiotic balance. You know, the vaginal canal, like I said, has its own floor. It's like its own aquarium. It's got its own pH. It's got its own critters and everybody is in balance. When you're post-menopause and you and that estrogen has dropped, it makes it really easy to throw off the balance of that vaginal vault. Where when you don't have that, where you have, you know, that lubrication, you have the resiliency of the tissues, the pH is pretty good. Is it? It's kind of hard to throw things off. And usually with, um, you know, even younger women, because I treat a lot of younger women, is you can, you know, you can really treat a yeast infection or bacterial vaginitis. I see bacterial vaginitis way more than I see so yeast why don't infections. So why don't you describe the difference? Uh, I think a lot of women are probably at least somewhat, uh, you know, know the difference, but why don't you go to the difference between BV and, uh, and a yeast infection? 
So bacterial vaginosis is, I honestly find it a lot more common. It's when the pH of the vaginal vault becomes much more alkaline. Technically, that vaginal canal is more acidic. That keeps the like lactobacillus acidophilus. So those are the beneficial bacteria. There's lots of beneficial bacteria, but there are a lot of the acidophilus ones. So you see here the word acid. That's because the vaginal canal likes to be more in an acidic tone, where when bacterial vaginosis is when that vaginal vault for some reason, it can be from intercourse, it can be from sitting in a spa, it can just be from doing nothing, um, could be from foods that you're eating, could be from medications, but that pH will go a little more alkaline, and then the species, the Gardnerella species in the vaginal canal propagate like crazy. So bacterial vaginosis isn't an infection that you catch from anybody, it's really a particular bacteria that's being, you know, sort of in held at bay, but it's still in the vaginal canal, the Gardnerella, you change the pH and then it has that perfect environment to grow like crazy. And so you have, so bacterial vaginosis is more of an alkaline issue pH where yeast is a little bit different. You know, yeast is, you know, candida. It's not a bacteria. A lot of times yeast is a little bit more acidic and there's a lot, um, a lot of different symptoms that can come from yeast. So bacterial vaginosis is more where the the vulva is red. It can be swollen, beefy when it's really bad. Even it looks like there's little micro tears on the, on the little mucous membranes. Even when women go to the bathroom, they might put the toilet paper when they wipe, they look at it and there's like a little bit of pink on there because those little micro tears have been bleeding. There's not a lot of a discharge, but there is more of a water, like literally water discharge. Like you can, you know, tidy up, do good hygiene. And then all of a sudden, this water discharge comes out where in yeast, it's a little different. When you look at the vulva and the mucous membranes, it's more like, like almost like it's lost its color, like more like purplish whitish as opposed to bright red. And then you'll also have more like that thick, they call it, you know, like that cottage cheese or more like thick white discharge that you'll see with the yeast. And it's always like, it's always there where in the bacterial vaginosis, you can, like I said, take a shower. And then all of a sudden you get this, you know, this discharge and that discharge in BV, it does smell fishy. It has an amine odor, which is kind of like a fish odor. So these poor women that I've treated over the years, they're embarrassed about it. Cause they're like, you know, I, I get it. You're taking showers. You're clean. You're hygienic. It's just that Gardnerella, the way that, um, you know, that discharges is it has that amine smell. So you can, you can see there are big distinctions between the two, but they always seem to get kind of convoluted or you're always being treated for more of a, um, a yeast infection instead of BV that they do get interchangeably. So what's the, uh, what's the treatment, uh, uh, the yeast infection? I know how we treat that, but you just said conventionally they're going to use uh, flagell or not uh, for BV for, so, and you don't, they don't usually use flagell. I mean, there's a few different things, but pretty much clindamycin, cleosin, vaginal cream, 2%. So uh, just a topical antibiotic. That I think is works pretty well for BV. I don't think that that's a bad one because it's more topical. There is also a cleosin or a clindamycin oral you can take for vaginal BV, but you know, taking something oral, it goes through your entire body and through your digestive system. Um, you know, I'm I'm always more. You know, we're not big on antibiotics or anything like that. That I would rather do something more localized for a local infection, and and that's probably the issue. So now now we mentioned with um you know with the yeast infection, they'll usually give that diflucan, which is oral. So they're thinking they want to, you know, most doctors, conventional doctors, hey, you know, us too, kill the 
pathogen, kill the bacteria, kill the candida, kill the yeast, kill the critter. And it's not really about killing the critter. You need to, sure, you want to, you know, bring down the critters or eliminate them, but you want to change the environment that they're flourishing in. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, we've seen that with UTIs too, right? So, you know, antibiotic, you get a UTI. Every woman knows when they have a UTI, uh, they're going to have the the burning, the urgency, the irritation. And of course, every time they're going to get antibiotics. Uh, and just like this, this woman here, Melissa, the more you use some of that conventional treatment, the more it's going to set you up for those reoccurring infections. And now you're getting one every four to six weeks. Uh, and then it's really difficult. I had one woman, uh, she was going in like literally every month, every like three to four weeks and being treated for, uh, for a, a UTI uh, for like a couple of years. Uh, she, she was like, I had a standing uh, lab order to go in and uh, provide a sample uh, you know, uh, you know, they use a little dipstick. We actually just show women how to do it at home on their own, uh, because it's a little bit more, you know, simple, right? It's really easy. Oh, it's, it's so easy. It's the same process doing it at home versus doing it in the doctor's office. Uh, so, you know, knowing if there is an actual infection there, what do you think about, I know we don't do a lot of it. That's why I sort of know the answer, but what do you think about culturing those types of things, like she said, they had it, you know, they had it sent off and they cultured it. What do you think of all that? That's funny. I think you just read my mind because I was going to say, you know, Melissa said, hey, you know, she's doing everything she can. The doctor did swabs. Everything's negative for an STI, a sexually transmitted infection, bacterial vaginosis. She had BV on there and yeast, but they don't all, those tests aren't always that accurate. Yeah, no, like, no, you no. know, like I've even done those tests on a lot of women in the past where, you know, you stick a swab in there, you try to get as good of, of, you know, just as, you know, the, trying to get the tissues and it still comes out negative. I really think a lot of times, especially as long as you, you know, rule out the STIs, of course, um, anything like that. But I, I think a lot of times that the, the BV and the yeast is really just about teasing apart the, you know, basically the symptoms. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You, you diagnose it based on what they're experiencing, mm -hmm. uh, you know, as opposed to, um, sending things off to the lab. I think that is just, uh, I, I, you know, I don't want to over speak or say the wrong thing, but I think some of that time, some of that is just, uh, uh, in, at least in this situation is just sort of unnecessary most of the time. Well, it's kind of like from Melissa, she's looking for answers. They swab it and, oh, you're negative for BV and you're negative for yeast. And they're just staring at you when really it's, you know, you're, we're not all about testing. Like we do a lot of blood tests. We look at lots of blood tests for patients, but they're not numbers on a piece of paper. You have to pair it all together. So I, I do think there are a couple of nuances here with Melissa that might be different from other women as opposed like, like, you know, being menopausal, that's going to set you up for more infections. We don't know if maybe she has a new partner, um, not about the SDI thing, but you know, when you have another partner, they have their own flora and fauna and microbiome and, you know, their own, you know, symbiotic relationship for themselves. And then you bring in another person and you connect and we're kind of swapping bacteria and swapping good bacteria, bad bacteria that a lot of times you will see women that have a new, um, sexual partner that they will get bacterial vaginosis as opposed to somebody that's been with their partner for, you know, many, many years, they've already kind of all have the same, I don't know how to call it like the same flora. Yeah. They kind of acclimated to each other mm -hmm. as far as the, you know, as far as uh, every person's own symbiotic relation with their own bacteria. Uh, and it's like a fingerprint. And, yeah. And that, mm -hmm. and from that standpoint, you know, uh, sperm or semen is going to have uh, a certain influence as it's introduced into the vagina anyways. 
Uh, and it, now granted, if she's been diagnosed with atrophic vaginitis, uh, she's probably not having a lot of intercourse. It's probably a little too painful, right? And so she's having an infection is painful too. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so uh, what did it say there? Uh, so she went from something to, uh, Vagifem to, uh, Premarin cream. Yep, Premarin, which, you know, Premarin is basically a, a fake estrogen. You know, historically Premarin comes from horses, mares that are yeah, I can't, Honestly, urine. I can't even believe they even use it anymore. Yeah. I think they do some synthetic stuff with Premarin, but I think there are still quite a bit of Premarins that have, you know, from the horses. So that's a whole So, so other, Premarin sort of know. got phased out. So, you know, we've been doing this now for what, you know, a little over 20 years, or uh, just about 20 years for the two of us. Uh, and Premarin was sort of phased out like in the early 2000s that, mm-hmm. that, uh, I call it stupid, but uh, that stupid women's health initiative study that came out, I believe it was either published in 2001 or 2000, something like that. Uh, you know, I think I, I want to say 2001. Uh, and uh, that study still gets cited all the time is, you know, and, and it was just a poorly designed study and all these things. But that's really where uh, some of those uh, non estrogen estrogens right the conjugated equine estrogens the progestins um overnight women were just either taken off of them by their doctors or just stopped them on their own uh that's why it's surprising here here we are 20 years later and they're still using you know quote-unquote yeah. permarin it actually yeah permarin cream on the vaginal tissues is still pretty popular but i will say the silver lining on that study is a lot of women you know doctors are not prescribing Premarin and prempro because those really are not good hormone replacements right. and um of course like you said the whole the loss, you know, the integrity or morals of, you know, these, you know, what these poor animals have to go through to be tortured to have yeah, <laughs> their right. Premarin yeah, and Prempro. Yeah, yeah. But, you so know, there, that's that side. But, but I will say um, when they, you know, so it's good that that happened, but in reality, cause we were in the, I was, you know, I, we were in the thick of doing hormone replacement when a lot of women came to me like in floods because their doctors immediately stopped their Premarin or immediately stopped their Prempro. I had some, I had some women that told me they, you know, don't, I don't keep a gun in my house. I'm going to jump off a bridge because they felt awful. Yeah. They went from having at least something to completely having nothing. Because those those hormones are strong. Premarin and Prempro are super strong. They're like in the ozone layer strong compared to other hormones. But yeah, these women, they, you know, they had to, they, yeah, these doctors just like stop prescription end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, you know, that, see, that's strange though. Research is never supposed to work that way. Uh, why did it, why did it get reported like that? Like you can never in medicine, you, sh- you should never, uh, ever, ever, ever be making overreactions to one study. Right now, at the time, I get it that that study was stopped. Uh, you know, for people that don't know, and I'm sure no, not not everyone is reading the Women's Health Initiative for fun, right? Because it's a really big study, and I think it had like fifty thousand people in it. It was just an enormous study, huge undertaking. But they stopped it early because they found that it was increasing the risk of breast cancer. It was increasing cardiovascular disease. It was causing it was harming people, so they had to stop the study early. Uh, now I don't know. Um, I've heard uh, Dr. Peter Atia talk about that study. Him and Andrew Huberman were kind of breaking it down a little bit, and he had some things to say about the design of the study. We don't need to go into any of that, but it's just surprising that here we are 20 years later and something like that is still being used, uh, right? And 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 it set her up for having this reoccurring problem. Uh, it's uh, that's where I, you know, that's why we chose to talk about this one because this is exactly the 
the situation that women can run into. Uh, now we run into this even with the way we treat women, right? Even with using estriol, you know, we still run into this problem. Maybe not as severe as this one, um, but still, women still, and when it's when it's bad enough, that's why we always tell them, hey, you know what? In the early, what? The, the first seven to 10 days, the first two weeks, you might get a yeast infection. So what, just be what prepared. Do you mean? Oh, well, as you're, as we're treating, uh, you know, uh, um, a vaginal atrophy. Oh yeah. We run in, yeah, we run into women, they have yeast infections and BV all the time. Yeah. But not like this though, where she's having, re- oh, gosh, know, we're no. not having reoccurring that's, problems. That's and torture. We're, we're <laughs> trying to prevent that from happening. <laughs> that's torture. I don't, you know, as a female, you know, we've all had, you know, BV or, or yeast. We all know that it is so annoying because you can still go about your daily business and go to work and have conversations, but, and put on the happy face, but downstairs, it's like, I'm so uncomfortable. It's just, it's, it's really not, it, like I said, it's torture. Yeah. And I've, uh, and believe me, I'm just a you know dumb man when it comes to some of those. I, I can't relate how, how a woman actually experiences it, but I've seen some pretty severe cases over the years that, you know, they're, you know, I mean, just because they told me they're just completely miserable. Like it just, kind of consumes them and none of them really could get any help or relief because because of things like this, right? The conventional options were sort of limited and it just sets them up for failure sometimes. Uh, that's why, you know, that's why we're talking about this one because I think that it, uh, uh, now this I think is a pretty extreme situation for the most part, but you, like you said though, it's still relatively common, maybe to a lesser degree, but still pretty common nonetheless. No, yeah, it's pretty common. I mean, six yeast infections in six months. And then, and then, and then I do like that she took the vaginal moisturizer. So there, um, and that helped her for three months, but then she got another yeast infection. So it's really, so moisturizers are different. They usually have like hyaluronic acid in there. What they're supposed to do is fill the cell up with water. So that's the moisturizer as opposed to a lubricant. A lubricant is just make, basically sits on the surface of the vaginal tissues and makes it slippery. So like a lubricant would be great to use with intercourse, but a moisturizer would be something that you would use just kind of on a regular basis. Yeah, right. Yes, but even lubricants, uh, when they have a really bad case of vaginal atrophy, the, the lubricants don't really help that much. It's yeah. So like I said, it's a, you know, it could be for mild um, vaginal atrophy or just something more mild, a moisturizer and a lubricant would probably be perfect. But for Melissa and a lot of women that are in postmenopause with that, you know, having the vaginal atrophy, it's really about trying to treat that vaginal atrophy and then also changing the environment of the vaginal canal so that, you know, we, it doesn't make you susceptible to infections. Because like Dr. Mackey said earlier that I got a little confused, but now I understand, is we treat women with estriol, which we'll talk a little bit more about, but to be aware when we do start that, that we want to make sure they don't have some kind of repeat yeast infection. So while we're doing that, we're also doing other things for the vaginal vault and the environment to prevent that. Because really it's about trying to find that, like I'd mentioned earlier, that symbiotic balance and creating the environment. Yeah. So it just, it's sort of confusing to me because we use estriol so often. All right. So this, uh, so the Vagifem, that's an estradiol based product, correct? Mm-hmm. Right. You know what the, what the dosing is on the Vagifem? I don't, I don't uh, even know. 10, I want to say 10 micrograms is like the most common um, and it's a vaginal insert. So you insert it vaginally, usually at night, but that's estradiol. Premarin is a- Have you ever, have you ever prescribed Vagifem? Because I know I haven't. Have you ever prescribed oh, Vagifem? Maybe- Fifteen years ago, just a little bit, somebody was on it, so we wanted to kind of wean her off of it and then switch to something else. You know, I'm always gentle about not taking things right away. Yeah, it's right, introducing yeah. something more of a, else. Yeah, more of a then, transition. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think uh, yeah, may, maybe yeah. Many certainly, years ago. I know. I know you've never prescribed Premarin cream. I know mm-hmm. you've never done that, but I thought maybe a long time ago you might have tried. Uh, yeah, you know, I think Vagifem. I, yeah, in the 
passed if they were already on it when they came to see me. And then we wanted to transition off and like I said, change, you know, work on that environment or other symptoms that they were, you know, having in terms of, you know, menopause or hormone imbalance. So do you think maybe, and I'm just speculating because we don't use, uh, so the Vagifem is estradiol. So E2, we most of the time use E3, estriol. Do you think that the the difference in those two hormones is what, uh, so, or is it just the, the quote unquote strength of the commercial product? Like what, what's the difference with the commercial product versus the compounded product um, that maybe sets them up for these kinds of issues? You know, is, you know, do you know if there's any difference there or strength or potency or some, something that makes a certain segment of women not to be able to tolerate it? Tolerate. Which one? The commercial things. The, oh, you know, that's where no, it sets yeah. them up for these kinds the of problems. estradiol is very strong. It, it is very strong, but it will feed those vaginal tissues to help with vaginal atrophy. I mean, quickly. It's, but it's not like you want to, you know, put the pedal to the metal and get to the end of the race that fast. It's like I said, you've got to transition into it. But yeah, the estradiol is strong and it does go into the bloodstream. I know there's some controversy whether you, you insert a vagifem estradiol insert that it's only supposed to be localized, it it, it can go into the, the bloodstream and then, you know, change the metrics of the body in terms of their estradiol. But it is it is stronger. It's a lot stronger. So the estriol is much more gentle, but I feel like it's more effective when you use it as you're making these changes. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, I sort of knew that, you know, whatever, but I was just, you know, uh, you know kind of speculating. Uh, that's, uh, I mean, this particular situation is one of the reasons as to why the two things you said, uh, getting into the bloodstream, um, so proximity to the uterus, uh, and the potential to setting women up for, you know, kind of secondary infection. That's why we don't use estradiol, almost exactly for both of those reasons. No, I agree, because I do feel like estrogen, especially estradiol, can, it'll help with the vaginal atrophy, so you don't, you have better lubrication, you have better cellular um, resiliency, or, you know, this, the tissue resiliency, but I still feel like it feeds the yeast. I, you know, and I don't think that it, creates the environment in that vaginal vault to help prevent any kind of, you know, yeast infection, that type of thing. So that I do feel like, you know, like we had mentioned, we'd use the estriol, we use estriol vaginally, suppositories, creams, insert, there's so many ways to do it. But I can see her hesitancy about the interosa because it's almost like her doctor is just like, like, oh, let's try this. It didn't work. Let's try this. It didn't work. Let's take antibiotics. Oh, it didn't work. Let's try this. And so let's do the interosa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that, I mean, that's that's sort like of why we're talking. Like she's a guinea pig. Because the, the doctor doesn't really know exactly how to do it right, mm-hmm. at least in my opinion. Oh, but it maybe, you know, Melissa could be just a difficult case, but the... Um, well, there's a few, uh, of course, difficult cases happen all the time, but that's why we're talking about this one, because this ha- this situation, I mean... Uh, you know, what's the stats? Uh, 6,000 women are going to menopause every day, right? This is becoming a very common problem uh, and it really shouldn't be that difficult to solve. Now, granted, there's outliers, right? Maybe she is one of those outliers that is, uh, you know, that she is has a little bit more of a severe situation or more sensitive. We have lots of sensitive patients and rightly so. But uh, it just seems the, uh, the, uh, the musical chairs of options, right? You know, you know try, try this, didn't work. Try this, didn't work. Try this, didn't work. Uh, we don't run into that situation very often on our side, right? We still run into some problems. Uh, I'm not saying that, but uh, just, uh, you know, just so many uh, 
uh, variations of this relatively the same thing. Now the Interosa though, so she went from Vagifem to Premarin cream to Interosa. Interosa I believe is uh, DHEA, mm-hmm. which we do use va- vaginally yeah. as well. We'll combine that with the estriol. Uh, you know that you know that can be. You know, there's some actually some good research to support the that that idea. So we certainly would agree with that to some extent, but at the same time, you still need some of that estrogen in there to, you know, to actually yeah. solve the problem on a long-term basis. Yeah, I'd say for Melissa, that would be a different case. Somebody else, I do, we use DHEA vaginally a lot. I actually find that it helps a lot with libido, doing it, doing it vaginally. And it's a way of maybe in some women, if they can't tolerate any kind of estrogen or they don't, um, it shouldn't be used for them, you can use the DHEA vaginally because it does help with lubrication. There's studies on helping with lubrication and that tissue resiliency helps with, like I said, helps with libido. So it's not a bad option, but I still feel like she's going to get a yeast infection. Anything she's putting up her poor, poor vaginal vault is just her, you know, that yeast is just going to go crazy. So I really think it's more changing the pH um, of that. And I'm still not completely convinced that this is yeast. I'm wondering if she's bouncing back and forth between yeast and BV because the pH of that vaginal vault just does not want to stay steady. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, well, and like you said, that's why the some of the, you know, swabbing and, you know, cultures and all those things, I don't think you can rely on those things because I don't think they um, tell you the, the, I don't, I don't, I don't trust the validity or the accuracy of those tests, which is why you and I hardly ever do them because I don't think it really matters that much. You know, trying to, you know, uh, uh, figure out what, you know, what germ or what bacteria or what, uh, you know, what bug is sort of going on there, because that's just going to lead you down some kind of antimicrobial route um, using an antifungal or an anti, uh, antibiotic. And then that's what sets them up for these reoccurring infections. Because you're, you're right. I mean, there is a com- very delicate balance uh, of those bacteria there of the just the flora, the natural normal flora, which is being thrown off by a lack of hormone, which then you're trying to reestablish that uh, you know, that's a very delicate, you know, kind of balance to sort of uh, be gentle with, not clear cut it with a whole bunch of antimicrobials, because then it's going to take even longer to sort of reestablish that balance down the road. And I really like using kind of an old school method that's been around. I mean, some doctors use it. It's maybe making more of a comeback is using some boric acid. So boric acid vaginal capsules are great to kind of reestablish that pH. Cause like I said, that vaginal vault does want to have more acidity to it. So doing some, I would say with Melissa or even with our, my patients that come in that have frequent infections, whether it's BV or yeast, and especially the urinary tract infections is we will do a round of some boric acid vaginal capsules. So it's just localized vaginally. So we can try to try to get that pH there. And I'll even use some, um, female probiotics. So the, you know, like I said, the acidophilus, um, you know, the bactyl, um, you know, doing the different vaginal, um, actually inserts of, of probiotics for women is, isn't a bad thing. Like I mentioned earlier, anything we put up our poor little vaginal vault is going to get a yeast infection. But I think if we're putting things inside to recreate a better environment, that I think that would be first with Melissa. So we're recreating a new environment. And then if we need it, then, then we would probably go on to maybe working on more of that vaginal atrophy. Yeah. And the fact that another thing that sort of doesn't get, uh, you know, considered into that situation too, especially when there's a reoccurring pattern of infection there, looking at sleep quality, stress level, 
uh, what's going on externally. Uh, you know, woman's got really high stress because she's working full time, taking care of the kids. Immune system is slightly suppressed, which also kind of sets them up for these reoccurring infections on top of that. So she's 52. She doesn't mention any of that, but let's say she's hypothetically having a bunch of hot flashes or night sweats and she's awake all night long. She's waking up four or five times a night. She's not sleeping. She's uh, busy as all get out. Every woman we seem to talk to in their 40s and 50s has got a million things to do on a weekly basis. Um, so now her body, her own immune function, her own immune response, not only locally is not able to tolerate or handle, uh, that resiliency is kind of uh, a little bit diminished because she's got too many other things going on, which then uh, kind of uh, further uh, kind of diminishes her resilience over time too. Oh, I'm sure, you know, she's 52. She's probably in the heart of menopause. So there's probably a, that aspect to it. And granted, when you have a, you know, like she says, my her poor vagina is hurting. I'm sure when she's trying to sleep at night, that's pretty uncomfortable too. Yeah. You know, I've I had some over the years, you know, one woman I know for sure is that she couldn't wear pants. I know I've mentioned that before. Uh, some, you know, they have to wear skirts all the time because it's just painful. Uh, you know, just really, you know, um, really uh, uncomfortable, like all the time. Like they just can't seem to get any relief from, from, from those types of symptoms. Yeah. I had a patient not, not too long ago. And we were talking about um, some other thing, you know, working on some other issues with her, with her skin. And, and she's younger, super amazing, super, yeah, really sweet. And then, then finally towards the end of our, you know, appointment, the big thing was she had a terrible case of bad, you know, the bacterial vaginosis. And I was like, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me even a long time ago? Why have you been dealing with this? You know me. And, you know, every, you know I try to have good relationships with people. Tell me anything. I'm like, why didn't you tell me? It's, you know, it isn't easy to talk about. Yeah. Well, you think, I, I can understand someone, a woman not wanting to tell me something like that just because I'm a man. But, um, I mean, it seems like your patients tell you everything. Like, they, I hope they, so. they don't hold They don't hold back. They tell you <laughs> they everything. Shouldn't. Yeah, no, and there's some that I have too that believe me, they don't hold back either, which is, you know, which is great. You know, that's, uh, that's the, uh, that's what we're here for. Uh, and honestly, in most situations, the more information, the better, right? Mm -hmm. Always, because, uh, and as you know, too, when you've had patients for a long time, you sort of learn a little bit more about them every single time. There's always a little tidbit when you ask them certain questions, or if they mention something in the right way, and it, you know, it clues into a question, and then, you know, you just always kind of gathering information about them. So you understand them kind of, uh, I don't you know, think the word sort of overused, but you understand the whole person as opposed to just a chart, uh, you know, a number on a, la on a uh, you know, a, a, a patient number or a condition or a diagnosis code. You know, there's actually a person there that you know, has a lot of things that contribute to what's going on in their lives and, sim and their symptomology or whatever problems they're dealing with. Exactly. Like you said, you know, we were talking about, you know, her infections and we we're talking about everything going on down south with Melissa, but there's other things going on, which we always circle back to. If she, she could even be having some, you know, some kind of food reactions or some of the foods that she's eating could be contributing to this, but the digestive system, you know, with the yeast, she could have yeast elsewhere. You know, if she's having it down south, I've seen yeast in, you know, below the, the creases of the breast. I've seen it in the mouth. Um, you know, it can, I've seen yeast rashes that aren't just vaginally and that's coming from something that they're eating that could be com seem completely innocuous but it doesn't necessarily fit for them because as melissa says she has hashimoto's which we always say when you have hashimoto's which is an immune response you know attacking the thyroid that they really don't want to 
really want to go gluten-free as much as they can. I mean, yeah. 100% well, if you can. But. Well, we didn't even talk about that. Too, so you're right. So she's got Hashimoto's and Sjogren's, right? So she already has, I wouldn't say a compromised immune system, but she has a complicated immune system with having that autoimmune problem going on there. And who knows? She didn't mention what medication she's taking for the Sjogren's. Uh, you know, so you know, who knows? There might be some something else that is contributing on the on the autoimmune side. Um, so back to my point, autoimmune disease and stress kind of go hand in hand, right? So now there's some potential susceptibility there to having something like this. And maybe just, you know, um, listeners might not know exactly what Sjogren's is, is Sjogren's is a connective tissue autoimmune condition. And one of the big symptoms, which is probably part why this is more of an issue with Melissa that may not be with somebody else with Sjogren's is Sjogren's is very much about dry mucous membranes, dry mouth, dry eye, dry vagina, even when they're not menopausal, you know, they can be in their thirties and have Sjogren's and there's some vaginal dryness. I have quite a few patients with Sjogren's cause it's actually <clears throat> not uncommon. My first thing is, you know, Hey, how are those vaginal tissues? Oh, they're great. Perfect. You know, just keep me posted on that just cause that could be a symptom. But I do think that that Sjogren's could be, you know, participating along with the lack of estrogen to that vaginal um, you know, the vag- the vaginal atrophy. But I do feel like that Hashimoto's, like you said, what is she on medication for it? What kind of, you know, what kind of, you know, porcine thyroid, compounded thyroid? What is that diet like? Because, you know, a lot of people will get yeast or kind of infections from what they're, you know, what they're eating. Yeah, certainly from an autoimmune profile, you know, the diet is, uh, uh, certainly playing a, a contributing role there for sure. Uh, we don't need to get into that. Now we'll talk more about autoimmune disease later, but the fact that she has one, and like you said, you know, uh, uh, now that you say it, it's sort of obvious that the Sjogren's could be, that's maybe why she's having such a pronounced response or why she's having such a, a hard time overcoming is because of that underlying Sjogren's problem that you wouldn't necessarily, and honestly, I didn't make the connection either until you just said it, right? But uh, now the the... the uh, the the overall profile, the Sjogren's profile, and now she's having this kind of an extreme situation on the vaginal side. Uh, you're right. Maybe there's an uh, uh, there's an over overlap there between those the severity of her uh, vaginal symptoms. Yeah, but I would say first off, it's the infections. Like I said, I I even think it might be more of a BV, even though she's been swabbed and it said no yeast, no BV, no STI. Those things aren't accurate. I would say still, you know, working more on trying to create that vaginal vault um, environment so that it's got that symbiotic relationship between the different bacterias, that right there would probably probably be just great in terms of not having those infections because that's got to be really annoying. And eventually, if you're taking all these antibiotics, you're going to get, you know, what do they call it, a candida-resistant um, antibiotic infection where even medication doesn't, doesn't help. There's urinary tract infections that people have taken so much antibiotics that it doesn't it's resistant to them now. Yeah, right. That was the patient I was talking about earlier. She just took them uh, like, uh, just like on a standing order, just antibiotic after, you know, month after month after month after month. That's the problem with using those types of treatments too much, uh, too often because it disrupts that flora and then it's really challenging to be able to reestablish that. So uh, this one is not just a simple, uh, certainly what we've been kind of talking about. It's not just a simple, give her some estriol and she'll be fine. Uh, most, I would say 80% of the women that we use estriol for, it's pretty, it's pretty that straightforward. You give them some estriol, uh, and, um, they have no issues. Uh, the ones that are on the more severe side, and I usually mention that, Hey, you know, you might, you know, you might just because of the severity of the situation, you might end up with a yeast infection. So, Let's let's be cautious uh, and a little bit 
conservative to start, um, but you sort you sort of you can't one predict who's going to get one and who isn't, uh, and you can't prevent it necessarily. It just sort of you sort of have to let it happen. You can't really tell if it's going to happen ahead of time or not. But if it does happen, it's not going to happen six times in six months. Well, right. Yeah, that's my point too. Is that we're trying to you know, we're not setting uh, the patient up for that kind of reoccurring cycle. No, no that would be terrible. Yeah. Usually one, maybe two. Right. Mm-hmm. Usually one, maybe two, yeah, but not, not six not or two. seven. No. No, yeah, yeah. no. Like I said, people, we all get PV or yeast infections throughout our life, or urinary tract infections. They can happen for some reason, and they can happen for absolutely no reason at all. That's Murphy's law. So it's you know some you know a lot of women if they have something like this that happens whether they're at the med spa in their bathing suits or something for hours or they went swimming or you know whatnot they always come to us and we always have you know some good remedies that we can try to avoid the med you know the antibiotics yeah right with the urinary tract infections if that you know um we don't want to do frequent antibiotics but i do feel like sometimes with the you know the urinary tract infections let's do the antibiotics and let's make sure you never get another urinary tract infection again yeah right you know using it once uh okay fine just making sure that it's not uh you know it's not a reoccurring option because again the more you use it the more you're going to be you know in that situation over and over and over uh so yeah, I thought this one from what we did the you know that that new term. What is it? Uh, GMS, uh, you know, or no, GSM. Yeah, GSM. Sorry, GSM. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, the genital urinary syndrome of menopause. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, well, like I said, they're combining the the urinary issues uh, along with the vaginal issues, just combining them into one quote unquote syndrome. Uh, you know, because there is a little overlap there as far as how you you know, just like we've been talking about this whole time, how you address them, how you treat them. Well, people don't realize, oh, vaginal atrophy, because that's kind of used interchangeably with the with the GSM. Vaginal atrophy, you just think, oh, the vaginal tissues are dry and there's some pain with intercourse. They don't realize that that, that actually changes the whole flora, that it can make you more prone for urinary tract infections. It can make you more, you know... Incontinence. Yeah, a little yeah. bit of stress, urinary stress incontinence. So it's kind of cool that they did that, but um, it's just a mouthful, so yeah, GSM. Right. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Uh, all right, so... Uh, we sort of, uh, you know, I think this one is a good example, you know, from uh, some uh, from a listener that uh, someone what we alluded to on the other episode, uh, and this is sort of what not. This is not a common response, at least to what we're what we're used to. We try to sort of pr- try to prevent that vicious cycle that happens, uh, and uh, you know, there's you know a lot of good ways to be able to do that without having to, you know, switch to so many different options. Just knowing that ahead of time, and you know, and uh, being a little bit. Um, What's the word? Uh, cautious, careful, uh, gentle, yeah, maybe, maybe all the yeah, above. Maybe not doing the shotgun approach. Let's try this. Let's try this. Let's try this. It's like, okay, let's look at, like you said, the whole person. What are they eating? What is their lifestyle? Are there any other menopausal symptoms? What's their stress like? You know, let's, you know, get rid of the infection, but let's recreate a new environment so that it doesn't propagate that. You know, like you said, looking over the whole person as opposed to the shotgun. I don't, I don't know if this would be considered a shotgun method, but it's just like... I'll take this one, take this, take that. Yeah, right. See yeah, what right. happens. Well, like you said, though, uh, that was a good point about the Sjogren's. What do you think about using LDN with the show, with the presence of the Sjogren's or the Hashimoto's? What about using LDN for something like that as as part of the overall oh, treatment? So LDN is low-dose naltrexone. That's very um, common with the Hashimoto's protocols. Um, a lot of Hashimoto's patients take that because it helps um, with Hashimoto's. A lot, actually, I find more the LDN would... Not so. I've never really used it with Sjogren's because I've never really had anybody when we're working on Sjogren's have the symptoms so severe that it's something to really focus on. Usually we can help that Sjogren's pretty easy 
practice with lifestyle and some supplementations and some hormones, but for more like, um, rheumatoid arthritis or, uh, that joint pain, um, the inflamed joints, I find the LDN works great on yeah. but, you know, pain, pain in general and Hashimoto's of course yeah. too. Yeah, so yeah. I don't think taking the LDN would make Melissa's yeast infections go away though. But well, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't mean that. <laughs> and you're not going to give her LDN. To, you know, to, uh, I just thought, like you said, if that was being exacerbated that, you know, because, uh, you know, as in Sjogren's, as that inf- inflammation goes up, the, it kind of, this is not exactly how it goes, but as the inflammation rises, the, 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 the dryness is a result of that. Dry eye is an inflammatory problem, uh, you know, so just thought if you could reduce that or change that inflammatory response, it might, it might allow the body just to do what it normally does. But in menopause, if there's no hormones, it's not going to happen regardless. So just well, a like thought. Like you said, just it's more multifactorial, you know, looking at this individual and, you know, not one, you know, one-stop shop. It's like what can we do multifactorially to help, help this? Yeah. So, I mean, this one, you know, like, like you said, estriol seems like a perfect place to start. Maybe like you said, a little bit of probiotic, um, uh, acid, change uh, the pH, yeah, have a, have an option, mm-hmm. a better option. If another yeast infection comes back in the short term, try to reestablish that flora, uh, and then hopefully break that cycle of the yeast infections. And within, you know, what, what would you say for a, a timeline as a closing thought timeline for a severe case of vaginal uh, atrophy for them to go from being in, in uh, you know, a good amount of discomfort to being in a good place? How long do you think that usually takes? You could probably help the discomfort pretty quickly within easily three months, but you have to stay on it to make sure that that environment stays proper, like I said, with the pH, the symbiotic balance between the bacteria, the yeast, and the, you know, the, the critters in the vaginal vault. Like I said, it's like its own, you know, biome there. Because that, because once it falls off course here, like, like what's happened with Melissa, it's really easy to fall off again. That's why she got six, you know, six infections in six months. Cause yeah, you can try to put it back on par where everything is lined up, but then it just falls right back apart. Yep. So you have to keep your eye on that. You know, maybe after they've gotten that relief, it's like, okay, you're relieved, but let's, you know, for the next six months thereafter, you know, let's keep, let's keep a, you know, a good eye on this, make sure things aren't wanting to, you know, fall off the rails again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and that's where we usually recommend. So usually, you know, for something like that, I would imagine probably usage of about three times a week, um, probably on the higher side, as opposed to in the short usage term of, of the estriol. Oh yeah. Yeah. Applying the estriol vaginally, you might start off it, sometimes even once a week after a while, some, you know, probably not so much for Melissa because of the Sjogren's. Um, but for most, you know, postmenopausal women, you can do it you know, once, twice a week. Sometimes they forget. And but it takes a while to get to that point. Oh, yeah. That's my point yeah. is it's going to take mm-hmm. her a f- several months, but uh, she should be sort of yeast infection free in the in the interim. Oh, right? that's then yeah, it's just the a matter. Goal. Then it's just a matter. <laughs> yes. of, then it's just a matter of time uh, to allow the. And you know, I always say just because I don't have a way to relate, but women uh, know their body better than anyone, right? So they they know where that where things start to turn in their, in their, in their favor, where things are, then you're just in, you're just managing it, you know, as opposed to after actively trying to treat it or improve the situation. I agree. All right. All right. Uh, so this was a good one. Uh, thanks to, uh, Melissa for submitting the question. Uh, so, uh, uh, until next time I'm Dr. Mackey. I'm Dr. Davidson. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Progress Your Health podcast. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, please give us a positive review on iTunes. This allows us to spread our message, grow our audience, and help more people around the world. For more information, visit our website at progressyourhealth.com.